you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning. Um, If you'd like to grab at your Bibles, uh, now we get to hear from God's Word. So if you don't have a paper Bible, um, also we would absolutely love to give you a Bible. So if you don't have one and would like one, please um, go to the info desk or speak to somebody on staff and we'd love to put a Bible in your hand. I think there is something, I know it's dark and that can be a bit tricky in the cinema and screens sometimes win because of that, but there is something about a physical Bible to be able to flip around. Uh, So we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 to 15 and then looking at chapter 9 verse 10 to 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And now chapter 9 from verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, church. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That was a very helpful bookmark that fell out. Oh, well. Morning. Uh, Hope you are well today. Um, Thanks be to God that we do get to gather, that we get to dive into his word. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, uh, my name is Zach. I get the joy of serving one of the pastors here. And as Peter said before, we've been in 2 Corinthians for a little while now. Uh, And what's really interesting about uh, the way the 2 Corinthians is sort of set up is we were in sort of 1 through to 7 over the last little while. Um, And that's Paul really zooming in especially on uh, the appeals to a gospel renewal and reconciliation, both to Christ uh, and the gospel, but also to Paul as an apostle of the gospel. Uh, Today, in chapters 8 and 9, we are sort of zooming into Paul's appeals to uh, gospel integrity and generosity, and uh, over the next uh, few weeks to sort of round out our 2 Corinthians series, uh, 10 to 13, we'll see Paul appeals to a gospel authenticity and uh, faithfulness. And so this chunk here in the middle, chapters 8 and 9, are really interesting, uh, especially given that the first seven chapters seem to be really on about uh, uh, being reunited and reconciled to the gospel and to Jesus and to Paul. The end of it is sort of like a a recommitment to that, like, hey, um, I'm serious about this. But there's this odd chunk in the middle here, 8 and 9, that we're dealing with this morning, uh, which is just completely about this gift that the Apostle Paul had uh, been working on to try and raise for the poor in Jerusalem. Now, before we dive much more into that, um, to try and help us, uh, I guess, navigate where we're going this morning, check out this story. It was in the Atlantic uh, in 2015, and it was titled, The Man Who Couldn't Stop Giving. Um, And I was reading this article, and it was really interesting. Uh, It was this guy living in Rio de Janeiro, and he, uh, when they met him to do this article, he was Um, what they'd heard was that he was just working in like a French fries van, like a food van that would be on the side of the street. Uh, But he was famous for being super generous with it. So kids would come up and you just give them free cups of chips or uh, the homeless would get free food. Uh, He would often on his way home from work would see kids in the street and he'd stop and buy them food or give them money uh, to help them to the point where his family his own family were living on his mother's um, pension as opposed to his business being able to provide for their needs. He was just so over-the-top generous with his own money that his family had to survive on his mother's pension. Uh, Interestingly, it turned out that a few years prior to this, he used to be uh, a bank worker uh, and was incredibly um, tight with his money, like was your, uh, your sort of typical cartoon bank Scrooge, um, and held everything for himself, but then had uh, some sort of incident and suffered a brain injury. Uh, and the brain injury actually triggered this entire character uh, transformation. And um, the what's really interesting is his... Uh, his um, neurologist, the the, uh, specialist helping him to figure out what was going on, said that he had become pathologically generous, uh, compulsively driven to give. Now, 
many of us probably do think that it would take a serious brain injury to be that generous. Um, but check out these opening verses of chapter 8. Um, see what Paul says. He says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. So while they were suffering a severe test of affliction, while life sucked for these churches in Macedonia, due to their overflowing joy, but still from a place of extreme poverty, they overflowed with generosity and gave according to their means, but also beyond their means, as eyewitnessed by Paul, he could look around and see where their means were at and he's seeing them giving according to that and them giving beyond uh, what they actually had available to them and they're doing it voluntarily, actually begging for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's wild. That's Absolutely wild, extremely countercultural, radical type of generosity, which probably makes every single person in the room, especially me, super nervous. That sort of generosity that in the midst of our own sufferings, when we're probably more inclined to hope that uh, those around us would be looking at us, would be thinking about our benefit, would be thinking about our blessing. In the midst of that kind of suffering, these Macedonians give well above and beyond what their bank accounts effectively tell them they can give. And not only in the practical giving of that finance, but there's also this heart of begging Paul and his ministry associates for the opportunity to be involved in it. Now, I know in this church that we are incredibly generous and I'm super thankful for that, but I don't think I've ever been begged for the opportunity to give. One day it might happen. One day the gospel might just grab a hold of us so much that we are just overflowing with joy in the opportunity to give to uh, whatever means, the thing that God might have for our church to uh, go after. Um, And that would be an incredible day and opportunity. Uh, But I think this is meant to be set up for us as a bit of a hyperbolic uh, sort of preface to chapters 8 and 9. We're meant to be able to see in this that the gospel is so good that it can work so deeply and transformative in our hearts that it can take a whole culture, a whole church, a whole society from being those who constantly look inwards at our own needs and get to the point where we are begging for the opportunity to take care of other people's needs. Paul's effectively just setting us up to see that the gospel is that good. It can completely transform us and change us from the inside out. Uh, I warned Chris, who's on our vision slides this morning, that I'm going to be all over the place when it comes to this sermon. So Chris, uh, can we get up that giving update slide that's meant to be right at the end of the sermon, please? Um, What I want to do right now is thank you, because a couple of weeks ago we had our church update, Uh, we were up to this April, the second last bar there, uh, and then 
you guys heard the call and you responded to the call. Uh, and so uh, May, we had uh, around about $58,000 come in. Uh, and May is a high um, expense month. And thanks be to God, we actually covered the expenses for that high expense month. So thanks be to God. Thank you, church. So you can celebrate that if you want to. You're allowed to be happy about that. Um, thank you for seeing the need and uh, coming to, uh, yeah, putting your money where your mouth is, where your heart is. Um, that's incredibly encouraging. And I want to encourage you to continue that, continue to um, yeah, see the opportunities to fuel the mission of the gospel in our church uh, by uh, giving generosity, gener generously and sacrificially. Um, so I really want to thank you for that. Um, that's an encouraging sign and that's an encouraging, it's encouraging that it's a response to uh, us standing here and saying uh, we really need to make sure we meet these expenses so that our church and the gospel through our church can continue to go forward. Um, you can take that slide down. Thanks. Um, in a moment, I would talk about some other opportunities that we've got uh, to give, but let's dive into our text this morning. Two things that I really want us to see as we dive into chapters 8 and chapter 9. And by the way, when, that was, when I first saw that that was the chunk that we had to get through this morning, I thought, oh, the whole thing's about money. That'll be easy. And then as you start to exposit 8 and 9, it's ridiculous how much Paul fits into chapters 8 and 9. So firstly, it's Paul's fault and it's not my fault, but we are not going to touch on everything in chapters 8 and 9 this morning. I'm going to do my best to walk us through this, but hopefully the two main things that we will see and be convinced of is that because of the gospel, we have been freed to have integrity, which we'll see mostly brought out of chapter 8, but also because of the gospel, we have been freed to be generous, which we'll see uh, mostly through chapter 9. So to ensure that we approach this chapter correctly, we need to see the gospel, that the gospel comes first. And uh, what we're going to do is actually sort of, in a way, turn these chapters on their head because as Sarah read for us before, chap uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, it ends with this incredible statement from the Apostle Paul where he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We can't talk about anything else this morning before we jump in and remind ourselves or if you're here for the first time or maybe you're not used to coming to church, maybe you've never heard the gospel clearly before, we can't go any further talking about anything else until we have clearly re-articulated the gospel this morning and so that's what we're going to do. If we remember from the last couple of weeks, Paul uh, is actually speaking to those, as we saw in chapter 7, those who have repented, those who have turned from their sins and have uh, turned to Christ by by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. And now in chapters 8 and 9, he's going to call the Corinthian Christians to have integrity to their commitments and to show how that because of the gospel, they are free to be generous. And so right throughout these two chapters, he clearly articulates the gospel, this inexpressible gift which God gives us through Christ. So what's he talking about? Well, let's first uh, look at um, chapter 8, verse 9, where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, gave up his heavenly, glorious dwelling to come 
be among us as one of us. He took on our finite flesh and all of its hardships and all of its difficulties so that by his sufferings, we might receive the riches of his life. Now, these are not earthly or materialistic riches, but the riches of his righteousness, his right standing before the Father. So that we too now can have right standing before our good heavenly Father and be seated at the table as a son or daughter of the Almighty, an heir, one who inherits all the riches of heaven in eternal life. And then he affirms this again in chapter 9, verse 9, where he uh, is quoting Psalm 112, verse 9. He says, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And this is why Paul can so confidently call the Corinthians and you and me today to live with integrity to our commitments and to live generously towards others around us because we have all that we need in Jesus. And this is God's inexpressible gift. And this is why Paul can be so confident in calling the Corinthians and us out. And so um, this morning, before we dive any further, let's think about what is this gift for the Jerusalem Paul that Paul is carrying on about. Um, There's a bit of a a slide there to show that scholars seem to agree that this is actually the second campaign or collection for the poor in the Jerusalem churches. And so, as you can see here, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, it's reported in those chapters up there, they went with Judea with relief funds. uh, And then Paul came before uh, effectively what's called the Jerusalem Council um, and uh, the the Apostle uh, James and others there uh, were, uh, were sort of discussing whether the gospel was really good news for the Gentiles and they realise that yes, it is, uh, but also as you go out and as you're preaching the gospel, don't forget the poor and in particular, don't forget the poor here in Jerusalem uh, where this all sort of uh, ignited from. Uh, And then, uh, so they've already taken a gift to that region uh, and then in response to remembering the poor, poor, Paul uh, then begins this second campaign to bring more financial relief. And so for the Corinthians, he first brings it up to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. uh, And now in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's calling them to complete what they had committed to. And he also encourages the churches in Rome to participate. You can read that in Romans. And then in Acts 21, we hear that Paul is arrested. As he arrives back in Jerusalem, after uh, sort of doing his uh, third missionary trek, he's collected these funds and he gets back into Jerusalem. And in this really weird scenario, which you can read about in Acts 21, he gets arrested. Um, And so throughout these two chapters, uh, we're going to walk through these main points, trying to understand, uh, you know, if this is the the generous gift that he's calling these Corinthians to, what does it have to say to you and me today? So point number one, we are freed to have integrity. Most of uh, chapter eight and the first verses of chapter nine speak directly to the integrity that we have because of the gospel. Uh, We've read it a couple of times now through 2 Corinthians, but uh, Paul is adamant uh, that he didn't lie about his missionary 
uh, about his uh, ministry plans, his travel plans had to change and he sort of rests on that whole reality of uh, if Christ said yes to his commitments and meant that yes and in Christ's yes is a yes from God to all of the promises that God has for his people, uh, then in the gospel we are also uh, called to and equipped for our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And so he uh, sort of circles back in on that here as he's relaying this story that we have been, uh, through the gospel, equipped and empowered to have integrity to the commitments that we make. Uh, We see it straight away in chapter 8, verse 6, where he says that, "'Accordingly we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace.'" Titus started it, Paul's like, Titus should finish it, so we're sending the bloke to go and do the job. And then verse uh, 10, Paul highlights that a year ago, they started to do this work. He says, and in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. In other words, Corinthians, put your money where your mouth is. And then in verses 12 through to 14, Paul sort of gives this pastoral plea. He continues and he says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need and that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness." So he's trying to show that this is not just a call for the the rich Corinthian church to have to give up all of their money so that the poorer churches can continue on and they can exist, but he's acknowledging the fact that in life we have seasons. We have seasons of uh, being wealthy, we have seasons of being poor. In other places in the Bible, Paul speaks directly to this and that he, in fact, through the gospel, has learned how to be content, whether he has much or whether he has Nothing, because his contentment is based on the recognition of who he is in Christ, not how fat his bank account is. And so he's trying to pastorally show the Corinthians that while they've got money now, it's actually their duty and responsibility to love their brothers and sisters across the known world uh, and to provide for their means, understanding that there will come a day and a time when they will be in financial need and the other churches around them will be able to supply for their needs. He's trying to uh, make sure that they understand that they're not always going to be rich just because they are now and they should think about how their showing and loving and exampling um, generosity is a a good way of opening the door for others to learn and see and then show that generosity in due course. And to sort of back himself up, he goes back into the Old Testament, which is classic Paul and super Paul and super frustrating for us 2,000 years later who have a really poor knowledge of the Old Testament. Um, but he goes back and he quotes Exodus chapter 16. And he says, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, but, and whoever gathered little had no lack, which just sounds preposterous um, and really difficult to understand. And so what we need to do is go back into the Old Testament, which is where my handy bookmark fell out of. So let's all together struggle to get back into Exodus. It's right towards the beginning of your Bible. Exodus chapter 16. And 
and I'm going to read from verse 15. Uh, Quickly, some context. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They are hungry. They're whinging to Moses about it would have been better for us to be left in slavery where we were beaten and raped, but at least we got some food. Uh, And so now they're out in the wilderness, freed from their Egyptian overlords, but they're starting to whinge about their hungry bellies. And God, in his incredible grace and goodness, sends them manna, which was sort of like a a bread-like substance that fell like dew uh, every single morning uh, for their time in the wilderness. And so here, where we come into the story, um, God is instructing Moses how they're to go about collecting the manna. And so from verse um, 16, sorry, of chapter 16, it says, this is what the Lord had commanded, gather of it, uh, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which is about two litres, and it was like a, a particular way that they could measure exactly how much they were getting, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. So two litres per perp per tent. And then the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Which is a really interesting thing. You could imagine being hungry in desperation. You see that God has provided food. They run out of their tents in the morning and they just scoop up an armful of this manna that had fallen on the ground. And you could imagine the excitement of it. I can think about my kids when a piñata gets burst and lollies fall on the floor. And they don't care about the safety of anyone. They don't care if they get 20 lollies and a kid over there gets one lolly. They don't care. And that's kind of the attitude that uh, Moses is having to address here with these people. And it's actually really sadly still the attitude that we have to address in our own hearts um, thousands of years later after this lesson had been um, taught to the people. And so uh, they would run out, they'd grab this armful of manna and then when it actually got time to measure it, they would realise that in their greed, uh, I don't know if it just disappeared out of the omer and now they didn't have any and the ones who gathered a little bit and they put it in the omer and it actually made up that entire two litres. I don't know if it's just a miraculous thing, I don't know how it worked but scripture tells me that when they put too much in, they had nothing, when they put a fair amount in, they had everything. And that's what Paul is relying on here to try and help the Corinthians understand um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that if we're to sit there and consider that we have everything, in fact, we have nothing. But in our thinking through fairness and loving other people and looking after other people, well, in that, we have everything. And that's why he's able to land in this spot here about being uh, integrous to our commitments, to our love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ because the gospel has freed us from this need, this drive for us to grab and hold on to and have. We're now freed to let go and let God. And then uh, verses 16 through to 24 uh, I'm not going to read all of that, but what's really cool is he, he zooms in here on how uh, Titus and the two men that they're going to send uh, with the funds uh, to go around to collect and then end up back in Jerusalem are men of high integrity. 
Uh, He talks about uh, going along with Titus, who he commends here in these verses. He's going along with the the brother who is famous for his preaching of the gospel, which is a pretty sick title um, in verse 18. And the brother they had often tested and found uh, to be to be integrous to his commitments, where he says that in verse 22. Why? They were being sent, and they were being sent in this way, Verse 21, to do what is honourable in the sight of God and man. Now, this is important on a couple of fronts. Um, Really, through those verses of 16 to 24 is this uh, strong call to our gospel conviction to integrity, that we would be above board, that we would do things transparently, accountably, uh, and in full view of everyone else, because we know uh, that in the gospel, we're freed from having our stuff and holding on to it. So we're not worried about people seeing or uh, understanding that we do have uh, integrity about how we go about our money or our investments or our whole life. It's completely on display for people. uh, And it's a good principle to follow, uh, looking into this, that Titus was sent, not Paul, that with Titus was sent uh, a brother who was well-known, he was famous for his preaching of the gospel, so he's a well-known brother, but also a brother who had been uh, very thoroughly tested and shown to be absolutely integrous to his commitments. A couple of um, direct applications from this. Firstly, for us as a church, it's a good principle that neither myself, Mike, Mel, Lisa, any of our staff directly touch church funds. When you guys give uh, cheerfully and sacrificially, it does not come to me and I see it and put it in a bank or uh, anything like that. It goes straight from your account to a church account. And what's really encouraging is that City on a Hill is absolutely committed to financial accountability and transparency. Uh, Peter Hill, who's uh, in our church, is our, um, is our finance director for all of City on a Hill, um, It's his job, so go and talk to him about it. But otherwise, uh, you can see the policies clearly on our website that we take this very seriously, that we take uh, the money that you so sacrificially and generously donate and give to our church, we take it seriously. And so it's not treated um, with a lack of accountability or transparency. Uh, It is very well looked after. uh, And we have worked hard to ensure that. And I realise that what's been happening in the media recently, especially around Hillsong, probably makes what I'm saying right now a whole lot harder to hear because our trust in church institutions has really taken a nosedive off the back of royal commissions uh, into child sexual abuse by churches, into royal commissions around financial matters when it comes to churches, uh, by Hillsong's expenses being blown up all over the internet. Um, if No matter where you land on those things, at the very least what it does is causes us to be nervous about how people in church, the church in ministry, are handling our sensitive data, our, our money and things that we hold So I do recognise that this is a difficult one sometimes for us to hear. And if you're someone here this morning who has been ripped off, who has been hurt, who has been, uh, you felt manipulated even maybe by the church when it comes to your money, I'm sorry. Sorry that the church has failed you so horribly in that way. Maybe it's even been our church And I'm sorry that you feel that we have uh, ripped you off or that we've not been above board with how we've dealt with your money. Um, My hope 
is that we would continue to work towards uh, being uh, gospel integrous with our funds, with how we treat every aspect of our church. I know we're never going to get it 100% perfect because we are flawed human beings, but my hope and my prayer, and I would encourage your prayers as well, is to continue to lean into God renewing this, rejuvenating this, uh, remaking this in his gospel image, that the church's reputation across the globe might continue to uh, be bettered and increased, not because... uh, Uh, people are just um, happy to forget what happened in the past, but because we're seeing God actually reconcile it and actually remake it through the gospel. The call here from Paul is clear. Aim for what is honourable in the Lord's sight and also in the sight of man. Keep things above board. And the second application Uh, for this is to our personal lives and to our personal finances also. Are we accountable to our commitments? Do we put our money where our mouth is? Uh, Do we put our money where our complaints are? Do we put our money where our heart uh, actually sees the gospel need for the money to be? Or do we, see our, uh, do we put our money where our flesh and sin tell it it needs to be? Are we above board with our money? even with taxes, which I know is a sort of one. But do we trust in God's good sovereignty enough that we don't feel like we have to do this with our money and our stuff, but because of the gospel, we can begin to live like this? Uh, Paul then continues the conversation of integrity in chapter 9, 1 through to 5. And again, he's highlighting that this gift, it must be just that, a gift. Titus and his mates, they aren't coming to break knees and take funds. Right? If we were going to do that, we'd send was. Break all your knees. Um, They are coming to receive what will be a willing gift. Uh, given. So it's not an extraction. They're not going there to make sure that it's pulled out of the church finances or pulled out of their pockets to give to the Jerusalem poor, but it is something that is willingly given and received. Which really highlights that the question to be asked off the back of this is, do we see ourselves as stewards of God's stuff or owners of my stuff? the end of the day, it's an ownership question. Who really owns our money? Who really owns our stuff? Who really owns the decisions for where it goes, how it's spent, where it's spent? If we, I wish I had two sermons just on chapter eight and we could dive into this a bit more, but if our minds can think all the way back to uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, really what happened there in the fall? Adam said no to being a steward of God's stuff and in his attempt to now be God said, I'm going to be the owner of my stuff. And ever since, we as sinful humanity have really, really struggled to let go of what we think is our stuff. But at the end of the day, we are called to be stewards of God's stuff. By the grace of God, in the good work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, by his rescuing us from this obsession with ownership, he restores us as stewards 
once again in the gospel. We have been freed to have integrity to our commitments into how we go about our money, but we have also been freed to be generous with every part of who we are, including our money. And this leads me to point two. We are freed to be generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. Paul says that the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul, uh, in a couple of sentences, brings the gospel reality to bear upon our money. And this has radical consequences for us. Uh, because for... Sorry, I've misread my notes there. It does have radical consequences for us, uh, but it has radical consequences for some of the erroneous, the wrong teaching that has been prevalent in our society for a very long time now. And so let's consider two of those errors which I think uh, these couple of verses powerfully rebut. The first is what's commonly known as the prosperity gospel. Effectively, teaching which says that God wants you to be wealthy and healthy. And unfortunately, most of the time, that prom- the promise uh, from that teaching is completely dependent upon the amount that you will give to a certain person or ministry. I'm sure many of you would know exactly what I'm talking about. And so therefore, they lean on those words of sow bountifully because you will reap bountifully. Firstly, This teaching completely ignores what has been consistently uh, mentioned so far, even in 2 Corinthians, that the normal reality of Christians in this life is suffering and hardship and therefore a growing dependence upon God. Let Let alone ignoring willfully the teaching of Jesus that in this life you will have trouble. It is just crystal clear in Scripture that in this life we're actually not called to be wealthy and healthy. We are called to live whatever life God calls us to. And no matter what amount of money you might try and put on the table, God cannot be bribed. God is not a genie in a bottle. God cannot be manipulated that if I give this amount, he's going to bless me in this way. The reality is God will do what he will do. And we get to live in this beautiful gospel reality that he calls us into that story and takes us from darkness to light in himself. No matter what our day, our situations, our health, our wealth, no matter what any of that looks like, we get the joy of being in God's family. And as he said at the end, that is the inexpressible gift that he's given to us in Jesus Christ. And church, that is more than enough. We can trust what Paul goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, that those who do so generously with their whole lives, what will they reap? a harvest of righteousness. As it draws us to rely on God's giving us all that we need, financial and otherwise, to be a blessing to the world around us. And the other big point that it brings out is that it will produce in God's people 
thanksgiving to God. The uh, second error that Paul addresses in these sentences is the law of 10%. Maybe you've been in a church or heard a pastor say even that unless you give the church 10% of your income, you're robbing God. You have my complete permission and the Bible's to ignore that and in fact throw it in the fiery trash can of heresy. Before looking at simply uh, how Paul tears down this argument through the gospel, it's worth noting that the teaching of 10% is even unfounded. If we were going to live according to a law around how much we should give according to an Old Testament principle, it really should be closer to 22%. 10% was never the mark. There were always a whole bunch of other uh, um, numbers and, you know, if you, if you gave this amount, you also had to give this amount of barley or doves or whatever. It all turned into a percentage of our ownings and our income. And so if you're going to live according to the law, uh, firstly, good luck, but secondly, make sure it's 22% minimum, please. That'd be fantastic for the month of June in our accounts. <laughs> but thanks be to God that in the gospel, we are freed from the law. Now, while this might sound like it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, like now I don't have to give anything to anyone because I'm completely freed by the gospel, the flip side is that if we are truly captivated by the gospel, we will give much more than 10% or 22%. We will give our entire lives to the mission of the kingdom of God coming and infiltrating and renewing all of God's creation. Our hearts will be lit on fire for generosity for the sake of the gospel. Verse 7 gives us the New Testament teaching on giving and generosity. Um, Let's read chapter 9, verse 7 again. It says, Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When the gospel does its work in our hearts, we are actually set free from our bondage, our slavery, our shackling to greed and to hoarding. And by God's grace, we become radically others-centered. And this is the example of the Macedonian church that Paul uses at the top of chapter 8 to show that just how ridiculously transformative the gospel is in the lives of God's people, that it takes people who, even in the depths of their severe affliction and poverty, are overflowing with joy because of God's gospel goodness to them, and they give well above their capacity to give because they see uh, the, the way that the gospel is just saying, give it out, don't hold on to it or hoard it, Because ultimately, when you are captivated by God's inexpressible gift of His Son to you and I, we can't help but also be captivated by the truth that God will not let us go without what we need to have to accomplish what He's called us to accomplish. You've only got to go back and think in Jesus' teachings about the fact that a sparrow uh, doesn't really do anything to get its own house, and yet God makes sure that every sparrow has a place to lay its head at night for lack of a better terminology. And how much more for God's own children will he take care of us? Will he make sure that we are uh, abounding with what we need to accomplish what he's called us to, which is what is uh, sort of landed on here with verse 10. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I've heard this scripture preached so terribly in my Pentecostal upbringing that it would be embarrassing to talk about right now. This is not words saying that God's going to give us everything we want or need so that we continue to uh, increase our own kingdom, so that our bank accounts get fatter, our cars get nicer, houses get bigger, friends get more expensive, clothes get uh, nicer. What God is saying is that when he's called you to go and do something, God will make sure that you have everything available to you to accomplish that call. He's not going to call you to be a missionary overseas without providing uh, your ability to do so. He's not going to call you to be a loving mother and father in a house living in the middle of Brisbane, working nine to five or maybe eight to eight, whatever it might be. He's not going to call you to do those things for the sake of the kingdom and his gospel going forward without giving you the means for you to go about doing that. He's not going to call this church to reach the city of Brisbane with the gospel without giving us what we need to do it. God in his goodness, God in his sovereignty, the one who truly owns everything and calls us as his stewards to steward things well will give us all that we need for the gospel to go forward in Brisbane. And it will produce thanksgiving to God. It will produce glory being given to God. It really sucks to hear, but church, the Bible's not about us. Our money's not about us. Our time, our stuff, our energy, it's not about us. It's about God being glorified and people's lives being radically transformed through the gospel that there might be thanksgiving to him. Now, I have dramatically run out of time, um, but in a practical next steps, there are some next steps we're not gonna, I'm not going to bother putting them up on the screen or anything like that, but um, what's really interesting about these chapters is this is not a call to just keep the church afloat by being generous. This is a call to, above and beyond keeping the church afloat, give to those needs of the Jerusalem poor. And so a more direct application for us this morning should be thinking about the poor that are in our society, uh, thinking about the gospel going out into other parts of the world. And so I want to encourage your hearts, your minds, your prayers, your considerations to be thinking about how in your overflowing joy and cheerfulness to give to the mission of the gospel, to consider uh, continuing to give to Ellie Bryce as a missionary over in Japan that we committed to uh, being there for. I want to encourage your uh, prayers and consideration to our foundation fund, which is happening right now, end of year, um, end of financial year uh, campaign, so tax-deductible giving opportunities to our foundation fund, which is uh, for the direct relief of suffering through many rooms and for the direct um, messaging of the gospel through our creative arts wings as well. Um, and at the same time, while you hold those two things as great opportunities to give and see people uh, be freed and, and met with the gospel through those opportunities, don't forget compassion, um, our partnership that we have with them. And while you're not forgetting any of those things, also don't forget 
to continue to lean into that generosity that we saw cover uh, so beautifully the month of May and the expenses there and continue to be captivated by that gospel call to not see our stuff as our stuff, but as we are stewarding God's money, God's things, that his uh, name might be glorified and that through that gospel work, thanksgiving might be given to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it firstly so powerfully reminds us of the gospel work that you accomplished for us through your son Jesus. Thank you that your gospel is not just giving us a ticket into heaven, but it is completely transforming and renewing who we are from the inside out. That every part of our lives, all of our motivations, our priorities, our everything would be pointed and orientated to who you are for your glory. Father, I pray that we would each take this call from the words in 2 Corinthians this morning seriously, that we would recognise it because of your inexpressible gift to us. We have been freed from being shackled to the fear of not having enough. That you have given us all that we need in your son, Jesus. And so we can be completely free to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and provide for the needs of the many around us. Father, I do ask that for those in this room who have uh, suffered terrible teaching, that have uh, been told that Uh, They must do this in order to be someone or be accepted by you. Father, I pray, whether that's uh, in the the line of prosperity doctrine or if it's in line of uh, the law, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring healing to people this morning, that you would release them from those shackles. You would free them by your goodness and grace to them in the gospel to see how good you are what you have done for us and therefore our absolute freedom to have integrity and to have generosity. I pray you would help us to live this out this week by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. um, I know that in some of those things there's there's some heavy stuff, there's some challenging stuff and so I want to encourage you, we're going to have Heather and Andrew and myself available in the middle here. If you want to come and have prayer or just talk through any of that, uh, please do that during these songs um, and let's stand and respond to uh, God's word in song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.